Romans, verses 14 to 17, hear the word of God. This is Paul speaking. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. If you were to ask humanity or your inner circle of people, if you were to ask this question, what is man's greatest need? Go to any country you want, any family you want, any people group you want, and ask the question, what is man's greatest need? Now, I asked this question to someone here in Sunday school, and they gave me, I think, the appropriate answer, and you know who you are. But collectively, in the world, what do you think people would say? Right now, in our world, many will say, well, that's easy. Global warming. That's man's greatest need. Others would say, well, it's got to be peace on earth. And some Americans may say, it must be economic stability. Some would say, it needs to be a one world government. Some will say, a cure for cancer. And you ask individuals, individuals, what's your greatest need? I need my health. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And the list goes on and on. But what does God say? And Christian, knowing what you know now, you know what man's greatest need is. You see, the Bible tells us, the Bible is God's revelation to man. And the greatest need that a man or woman has is to be made righteous. The greatest need a man or woman ever had is salvation. To be saved from the wrath of God. And the way God does that is through the gospel. Now Paul writing this in chapter 1, verse 1, he speaks very importantly as he often does with the term what? Slave. Bondservant. I, Paul, a bondservant. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. And we see that throughout Paul's life. But the reality is, each and every one of us are a slave of Jesus Christ, which we looked at not too long ago. And we have been set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's greatest need was met on a Damascus road in Acts 9. And our greatest need has been met. And you may know when that was. You may know the date, the time. You may not. But nevertheless, if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, just like the Apostle Paul had, maybe not the same stature, falling off a horse, but if you've been born again by grace through faith, born again of this imperishable seed, you know a veil has been lifted. You know who God is. You know what God has done. You've received salvation, and consequently, you've received the righteousness 
that comes with salvation. It's not just that you got off the hook, you're declared not guilty, you got to get out of hell card, but you've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed unto you. Now, there was a time when I did not know what my greatest need was. And had you asked me that question, I would not have told you the gospel. And I'm sure for many of us here, if I was to ask you that 20 years ago, two years ago, whenever, before you came to Jesus Christ, whenever that time was, you probably would not have said, I need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I need the gospel to save me from the wrath of God. That probably would not have been your answer. And you know what it, your answer might have been. Maybe very similar individually to issues like health, to your children, to, to school, whatever it is. And those things are relevant. They're important. But they're not the greatest need. See, we know what man's greatest need. Because God, through Jesus Christ, has met our greatest need. And now our desires have changed. Our eternal destiny has changed. And our priorities must change as well. And one of the priorities is telling others about their greatest need because they simply don't know. And a priority that is often neglected. It's often neglected for several reasons which we are going to see. But we have a duty and an obligation to proclaim the message to all. And we start with this obligation that Paul had for proclaiming the gospel. And this is a Christian obligation. We see in verse 14 that I am under obligation to who? Both the Greeks and barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. Because of what the gospel is, because of what the gospel does, Paul has a proper understanding, regardless of who these people may be. The gospel is for all humanity. Smart people, foolish people. Rich people, poor people. People we like, people we don't like. People we look like, people we don't look like. The gospel is for all people. And he sees a people group here, Greeks and barbarians, both wise and to the foolish. And prior to salvation... Paul has nothing in common with such people, but now he understands his obligation. And he would say, not just to the Romans, but to others in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe to me if I don't preach, if I do not preach the gospel. Now, his obligation is for all people. And Paul's desire has been met, and he's got his orders from the Lord. And we see that in Acts Nine, that he would be a messenger to the Gentiles. But Paul would often talk to the Jews as well. And that's so it is for us. Because our obligation, just like Paul, is found in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, in the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul understood such an obligation. And his obligation here says to both Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. 
But more so, his obligation was to God. And our obligation is to humanity as well, but primary to God. Now, there are different types of people we see here. The Greeks were known for knowledge. They saw themselves as wise, and they saw everybody as foolish. And the barbarians had a lack of education, and educated Greeks would mock them. But they have one thing in common. Regardless of whatever sociological stature and ethnicity they are, they have one thing in common. They're all dead in sin and transgression. And that is so very important. Now, one of the reasons they are dead and they lack the righteousness that comes from the gospel. And Paul, prior to salvation, probably would not have spoken to these people. You see, Paul had a lot of prejudices. And maybe we, too, carry some prejudice of some sort or another. I don't think that's so prevalent, but we have to understand because of what the gospel is and the obligation to all mankind, we have to put aside a lot of things that we may think of. We have to put aside maybe some discomforts and our own prejudice and even preach to our enemies if we have any. Consider Jonah. Consider the people that God has used to proclaim this message. Jonah for one. He felt that the Gentiles, these Ninevites, they don't deserve God's mercy. So therefore, he ran away. He understood over time that God was going to extend his mercy to people he didn't like. I might put it so simply, but that's kind of the way it was. You see, he, he, didn't want, he would not have chosen the Ninevites to go and preach the gospel. But he came to realize it's who God chooses. And he was under obligation to God. Consider Paul prior to his salvation. Consider you. Consider me. I can consider myself. And maybe there were people that I would not give the time of day. Maybe, maybe not. But nevertheless, now it's a priority. So he's under obligation to all men. All these men, these both Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish. Now... Because of Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ and because of his mission set apart for the gospel of God and because he had his greatest need met, understand, Paul thought that he was okay. But when he met Christ, he realized no. And it so moved him in the power of the Holy Spirit and in his calling that he would extend himself to all people groups. How about you, Christian? Are you sharing the gospel it doesn't matter who the people are, it's man's greatest needs. Does our political ideology sometimes obstruct us from the message? Now, I'm not saying compromise one bit with a biblical worldview. No. But do we tend to stay away from certain people? Paul could have easily made that argument. Lord, send me to the Jews. My people group, but Paul would be sent to the Gentiles. Now, God used Paul, someone who tried to destroy the gospel, someone who tried to destroy the people of God. Paul used Jonah, this stubborn, proud grumbler. And Paul, just like Jonah, just like we, was used by God. We also 
are called to do this work. What was your call? Now, sometimes the news will get rejected, and very often it will. How do you respond to the rejection of the gospel? We'll talk about that in a little while, but basically you shake the dust off your shoes and you keep going. You keep going to other people. The bad news is the depravity of all of mankind. And in Sunday school, we looked at three groups of people. The pagan Gentile, in chapter 1, verses 18 to 22, we looked at the self-righteous moralist, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, and we looked at the religious Jew, in chapter 2, 17 to 29. Now, you see a lot of disparagement with all these people, but you know what they had in common? They're all dead in sin and transgression. The wrath of God abides upon all of them. So we see something here in verse 15. He's not only under obligation. And very often we say, we're obligated to do it. That's got like a negative connotation. It's like, "Ah, I have to do it, so I'll just do it. But consider Paul's attitude here. For my part, I am eager. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, there's always reasons to preach the gospel, and it is our obligation. But do we have this eagerness? You see, sometimes we may not, and there's several reasons. One of the ways you can pray if that's you, if you have this restriction about you, that you don't, you you believe the message, you know the message, but it's not really in your wheelhouse, so to say, that you should present the gospel. You're not eager. Pray. Pray the prayer that you'd be eager. Pray that there would be boldness. So, now, you're eager. We see in verse 16, there is also something else that Paul had had that we must have, and that is conviction. Not only obligation, but a conviction that the gospel is It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Christian, have you encountered Jesus Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you born again? Therefore, there is a conviction that the gospel is the real deal. It's the only deal in town. It's the only thing that will provide salvation. For he's not ashamed of the gospel. And Paul would encounter quite a bit to probably make him draw back. And we saw in our opening prayer that he was in chains for the gospel. And maybe, just maybe, Paul would have said to himself, I'm trying here, but you know, I'm getting a lot of flack for this. But Paul would continue because he understood the importance of the gospel. What the gospel does, it's the power of God unto salvation. Now, Why would he have been ashamed, like I just told you? And the reality is that even in the 1 Corinthians 1.18, we see that the wisdom of God... Now, why would Paul be ashamed? Because the Greeks thought the message was foolish. Consider 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For God says this, God says it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise 
and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews' stumbling block, to the Gentiles' foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, you got this message here that maybe people will hear and they'll scoff at it. What would cause you to be ashamed? What is the greatest dilemma that you would have? You know what it is for many? It's the fear of man. It's the fear of man. It's our egos. We don't want to get our feelings hurt. We don't want to impose on anyone. Now, we have to be, do everything with gentleness and respect and give reasons for the hope that is within us. But we have to understand something. We have to get ourselves out of the way here. Consider Jesus' words in Luke ten sixteen: The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So, we must understand, what is a Christian? Ask yourself. What prohibits you from maybe speaking the gospel? What causes you to be ashamed if that's the case? Now, this gospel is powerful. It's God's divine power. And understand it's the gospel required for all because all of man is dead in sin and transgression. God's divine power. We see the power of God. This word is dynamos of God for salvation. It is not the power, it is not about the power of God. But a quote from John Brand in Scotland. He says, when the gospel is faithfully preached, the power of God is unleashed. End quote. Because of what it does, it's the power of God. It delivers, it rescues. This is the gospel. It takes away guilt. It delivers us from the penalty of sin. It mitigates the wrath of God. The gospel does this. So it rescues men and women without distinction. doesn't matter what 20 years ago they were like. It doesn't matter. Because of what the gospel is and what, how important is salvation, we've got to not be ashamed if that's the case. We must trust and obey. Because understand, it's not incumbent upon you to change hearts. It's not about you to bring souls into the kingdom. God does that. Consider, but what is on us is to proclaim. Isaiah 55.11 So my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without complaining, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the manner which I sent it. Understand something about God's word. It doesn't mean every time you proclaim it, people are going to get saved. But God's word never goes out void. All we have to do is proclaim. That's it. But we have to do that. I want to give you a situation very much characterizes the truth in Isaiah. If you turn in your pew Bible to page 1105, I want to tell you about a situation that Paul encountered in Acts 13.44.
I'm going to read from Acts 13, 44 to 52, and just consider, consider what Paul and Barnabas did here. We begin at 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 47, For so the Lord has commanded us, I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited devout women of prominence, and the leading men of the city instigated persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out the district. And what did they do? But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went somewhere else. They went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot that happened in that situation. But the word went forth. It may be God's design that some will reject the word of God. That's not up to us. It will be God's design that some will receive the word of God. That's not up to us as well. It's God who calls. And also may be some reasons why you may want to shrink back. There may be some persecution. But by God's grace, we don't have that much of a problem with that. So that should never restrict us. So we see here. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And some will think it's foolishness. That's why we may be ashamed. And what does man do? What do Christians often do? We try to make this gospel a little more marketable. A little more palatable. We don't have to do that. This is God's gospel. So God, we don't have to apologize for the gospel. We don't have to apologize for God. We don't have to make any excuses. All we do is proclaim. That's it. We don't have to redefine the message or anything else. The reality is, though, when we go out with the gospel, particularly to our backgrounds here with many religious people and self-righteous people, essentially what we're saying in so many words is, no, what you were brought up with is wrong. No, if you're Catholic, that's a false gospel. The Bible has the true gospel. And essentially, that could bring some problems to us. But we have to go in love, in compassion, and in mercy. Because it's the power of salvation. What is salvation? Well, we're saved. You've heard the expression many times. I got saved in such and such a time. What did you get saved from? You got saved from the wrath of God that abided upon you. No, 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 I got, I, I got depression lifted from me. Praise God, good. You got saved from God's wrath. That's what you got saved from. Okay, as we continue, we see that it's for everyone who believes. The condition is that they believe. And faith is required for this. It's for the Jew first, 
And also for the Greek, Greek, the 12 disciples were Jewish. Pentecost, the vast majority of those who came to faith, who made up the church, were Jews. Jesus came to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It came to the Jew first. But what we see in the text, it's for all of humanity. It's for all of mankind. Do you have this conviction about the gospel? Do you believe what it says? Do you believe what it did for you? Probably, I'll say yes. But do you feel the obligation, the eagerness, along with the conviction that you, you in this very room, that you will proclaim the message? Okay. This is a non-negotiable. This is a Christian priority for us. So we go now to verse 17. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, nor should we, because the power of salvation for all of humanity, because in the gospel now we see a revelation. So we have an obligation, a conviction, and it's a revelation. A revelation of what? It's a revelation of the righteousness of God. Now, I remember being in a men's Bible study, probably 2001, 2002, in Bay Ridge. Some of you know that men's Bible study way back when. The passage being reviewed was Romans 3.10. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was young in the Lord. When the teacher said, there is none righteous, no, not one, and went on to expound about the depravity of men. And I said, whoa, whoa, time out here. Wait a minute. Wait, are you telling me that there's no good people? That there's no decent people? This was radical, and I was taken back. I said, this is clearly exaggerated. But when I came to realize the truths of Scripture, and I came to see God more vividly, and the light started to shine, I started to see the truth behind this. You see, there were good people according to man's standards. But according to God's standards, there is none righteous, no, not one. Yeah, but you don't know my aunt. You don't know my mother. There is none righteous, no, not one, according to God's standard. Now, I realized then, and I was on my road, that God was about to change me. Now, I knew something was wrong. I didn't come to Christ initially, so I thought, because of the sin problem. I came for other reasons. But it's like the person who goes to the doctor. You know, this righteousness, like, you know, I got a problem in my, my chest. I, I know it's not right, but all right, take an MRI. Let's check it out. We'll run some tests. And you're able to move your arm, your chest. There. You feel it, but it's not hindering you. And then the doctor comes back and tells you, you have something that's going to kill you if you don't take care of it. What do you mean? You have a problem that needs to get fixed right away. And the problem is our unrighteousness. The righteousness is of the standard of God. Now, if this is not treated, it will kill you. We must be declared justified, not guilty, and we must have a righteousness of our own. Most people speak about the non-religious people could care less about any sort of righteousness. Maybe they believe they have a self-righteousness. But many religious people, many religious people 
have a big problem with the, with the gospel, and particularly the book of Romans. Now, many will say, I will choose to live a good life. I am a good person. I do more bad than good, and this should be sufficient. Romans destroys this argument. You don't even come close in the book of Romans. Now, I remember a woman, religious woman, very self-righteous woman, very generous woman, very loving woman. And when she heard this sort of, when she heard this teaching about the righteousness of God and the depravity of men, she didn't buy it. She said, nope, that's not right. But you believe Jesus, don't you? Yes. You believe Paul, don't you? You believe the Bible, don't you? Yes. So then essentially you're saying that God is a liar. But this was very difficult for her to understand. You see, it was hard for her to accept that she needed a righteousness not of her own. And this is called the imputed righteousness. And you think of Paul's religious background. Paul at one time would have considered himself righteous. This guy was a major league Pharisee. He was a high-ranking Pharisaical figure. And Paul could have Look back at his past accomplishments, and there were many. But what did he say in Philippians chapter 3, 9, when it came to coming to this reality of needing this righteousness? An amazing scripture from the, from the pen of Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Based upon his past religious accomplishments, he said, I have suffered the loss of all things, 3, verse 8, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God is on the basis of faith. The gospel is for everyone who believes, saving faith. Now try as you might, if you're here today, and you don't, you struggle with this, or there's someone that you want to speak the gospel to, but you know they're probably a better person than you in the, in, in the horizontal realm. Maybe they do good works, and maybe you do good works. Try as you might, there is no amount, the Romans and the Bible tells us, there is no amount of good works that will ever declare us justified. There's no amount of religious observance that will ever declare us justified. And if you think you have enough righteousness on your own, don't proclaim Christ because you're saying Christ died needlessly. Romans 3.27, Paul writes this, when, Where then is boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law or works? Not by a law of faith. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And how many times have you heard a relative, or maybe yourself in passing, just follow the Ten Commandments? If you're following the Ten Commandments, you're under the curse of the law. You're not going to make it. If you're guilty in one, you're guilty in all. So, man's the revelation of the righteousness of God is so important because there's so many people who are deceived who think that they have a righteousness of their own. This righteousness comes from faith to faith. Romans 10. I'm going to read from 10 to 15. 
For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With, that, with the heart, this is a saving faith. And with the mouth they confess, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Jew, Greek, wise, foolish, whoever. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this is on us. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? This is man's greatest need. Our need has been met. There's no debating this. This is not just something that worked for us. There's one name given among men under heaven by which mankind will be saved. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man come to the Father but by Him. This is not an alternative. Christ and Christ alone. We are sinners by nature. We cannot make ourselves right. But then we hear it over and over again. I do good deeds. And what does Isaiah tell us? Isaiah 64, 6. Our good deeds are but a filthy garment. Everyone's good deeds? Even my mother's good deeds? Your good deeds are but a filthy, polluted garment. Man's attempt at attaining righteousness will never, ever work. Because there's only one Righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only righteousness that will be accepted. You see, what the gospel is, is a substitutionary atonement. It's a substitute. And people don't like this, particularly American people, because we work for what we we get. We can do it. And basically, the Bible tells you every knee should bow. Because the substitute is Jesus Christ. Christ stands in our place. The gospel, one of the greatest scriptures that describes the gospel is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's the great exchange. The great exchange. He made him, God the Father, for Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we may become the righteousness of God in him. You see, folks... The only righteousness that will cut it is Christ's righteousness in you. Now, if you haven't noticed, there's some serious problems in this world. And if you haven't noticed as well, man, the heads, the Keystone cops all get together and they try to come up with some solutions. There are solutions that can be made here on certain things, but they're missing the greatest need. You know the greatest need. I know the greatest need. It is salvation. You know, G.K. Chesterton was once asked the question, what's wrong with the world today? Now, there are many things and all complications from sin, but you know what Chesterton's answer was? I am. I am. you got to fix self first. Now that your need has been met, go tell others. The greatest solution for
for him, for you, for me, is not found within, it's found of outside of ourself. And the gospel is this greatest need. If you have found the answer, we're obligated to go forth. May we pray for the eagerness. May we have a strong conviction with many things coming against us. Don't lose your conviction for what the gospel is because it is the revelation that we've been, we have the revelation of the righteousness of God. It's Christ who's given us his righteousness. It doesn't mean that we never sin anymore, but it's the substitutionary atonement. And now that we know, again, I quote, Jesus came and spoke to them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just go. Don't worry about the results. God is with you. His word will not go out void. It will accomplish what the Lord wants. Just go. Because man's greatest need is not going to change. This is our mission here. We've got to get out of a comfort zone if that's where we're in, myself included. We have to go and tell. I'm going to close with a scripture. This is not to, to scare anyone. This is not fear tactics. This is God's word. This is what God says, not what I say, not what you say. I'm going to close with this scripture. And my intent here is may this scripture give us compassion. May this scripture cause us to be merciful. And may this scripture to motivate us to go into the world because mankind is in big trouble. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 to I'll read from 10. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes to be glorified with His saints, you folks, if you're in Christ, part of the saints, on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Now that you believe, go so others may believe. Let's pray. Father God, our instructions are clear. Our instructions are simple, Lord, but you know we are but dust. You know our frame, Lord. Father, we pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for settled hearts on this matter, in gentleness, in peace, with compassion, with mercy, knowing knowing, Lord, that our needs have been met, knowing, Lord, that the greatest need of humanity is salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we do have the answer to this problem. It is your answer. May we go forth and proclaim the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who will believe. Amen.